coming in as Lou Millenbeck centered it. with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get to it. Happy Friday. This hour is underway on March 24th, 2023. With Vickers, I'm Steinberg from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go hit subscribe, and we kick off this hour with lots to talk about inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. And I would like to uh, say hello to Sportsnet's Eric Francis on Francis Friday. He's always inside hockey on a Friday. I would like to... um, Tell him how upset I am with him because he has given me the arduous task of choosing one winner for his tickets for Saturday's game against San Jose with so many good texts. Francis, you've created a monster. You you are a monster because now I have to feel bad for leaving about 400 people out with their good stories uh, and we can only select one. I'm sorry about that. I'm glad that there's been a good response. I that's a, I love those 2 p.m. games. Those are games where people should be going with their kids. And, and uh, you know, the late games are so tough for young kids, you know, the families, young families to take their kids. So, anyway, I'm glad there's interest. I'm glad people want to go. I just, I just checked Twitter after I put that out there. And all the, you know, all the smart Alex, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, what's, what's second place? Four tickets? You know, uh, you know oh, you're going to have to throw in food vouchers. I saw them all, too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, come on! Like you're trying to do something nice here, and uh, and uh, anyway, that's Twitter. That's uh, it's that's been much. It's been much better on the text line. I'll tell you that. Like honestly, the hundreds, hundreds of texts uh, since we uh, pumped it up in the the first hour of Flames Talk, and since you popped it out there on Twitter. So we will we'll, we'll select one. I'll read the uh, winning text at the end of our Francis Fridays hit today. But it's been very awesome. well received. Good, good. Well, I'm glad someone can go and enjoy the game. That's awesome. Pat's going to be the epitome of a heartbreaker here coming up, I think. Yeah, well, true. Pick a good one. Pick a good one. I know it's random, but I hope it's a good one. Like, I want to I want to hear a good story. I want to feel good. I want to feel a good story. That's what radio should be about, right? Agreed. Agreed. Isn't, especially. Isn't that what, isn't, that's what Flames Radio is all about these days. Well, feel we, good radio. <laughs> we're trying. We're doing our best because, okay, okay. Well, let's, let's start here. Um, Matt Coronado's sophomore season uh, with Harvard is done. On Friday afternoon, they get pumped 8-1 by Ohio State, and uh, that'll do it. They make the they make the tournament, but don't get past the first round of the regionals. So they are done, and now Matt Coronado watch is on. Um, the 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 update that I would give, and, and I know that you've been all over this story too, but the update I would I would give at this point on Friday afternoon is that I, if if you were expecting Brad Treliving to be 
outside the Harvard locker room waiting for Matt Coronado to come outside and speak to you, you would be mistaken. That's not happening. They're going to give him a little bit of time to get over the loss, finish off his season with his teammates, come back from Bridgeport, all that type of stuff. And then in the next, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours, they'll start to get to work to see if they can bring him in and sign him to a contract. And and Francis, as you know, uh, the organization has been very confident that they could get this done, optimistic that they could get this done whenever the season comes to an end. And they they remain optimistic. They're just not going to hammer away at it hours after his season came to an end. So I I wouldn't expect anything imminently. uh, They'll they'll start to get to work on it in the next few days here. Yeah. yeah, You know, I've been in touch with the agent. I've been in touch with the player. I've been in touch with cheerleading throughout this whole thing. Guys, this is going to happen. I mean, I don't think that's going to shock anyone to hear this. I think everyone feels very good at about where it's at. Obviously, Matt Coronado doesn't feel real good right now, and and that's exactly why Brad Tree Living decided not to go uh, and 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 be there in in Connecticut, you know, for the game today. You know, it harkens back to uh, Craig Conroy tells a really great story. I, I wrote about this earlier in the year when they signed Johnny Gaudreau, and when they lost in the uh, they lost in the Frozen Four, and uh, Conroy ran into uh, the Gaudreaux on the concourse. And Jane Gaudreau was furious, according to Conroy, and uh, said, she, she says, what are you guys doing here? Like, you know, he never really got confirmation from Jane on it, but he figured that she was disgusted that they were basically sitting there like uh, like ambulance chairs. Like vultures. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even though they did have a jet warming up at the local airfield, uh, they didn't want it to make it look like it was, uh, you know, they were just trying to prey on them. So uh, I think, you know, I think that it was just, Everyone agreed that it was best if he didn't go. Precisely. Um, yeah, so it, it, I don't think anyone should read into the fact that originally, I think earlier in the week, I think that he was leaning towards going, uh, but I think I think they made the right call. Anyway, this is going to be uh, good news for the Flames, and, uh, you know, he, Matt Coronado will play for the Calgary Flames before the season's over, and that's exciting news for Flames fans because there hasn't been a lot to cheer about this year, uh, but prospects 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 are kind of the new thrust in this city yep people are excited that Pelche is you know looks like he's an everyday NHLer or close to it and uh you know Coronado is the next guy that I think everyone's going to want to try and get excited about and I think they will yeah and, and uh, it's just, just going to take time well and I know and I know that the initial exactly the the initial thought was that Brad was going to be there but you want to you want to avoid the whole idea of kind of making the player seem like he's one foot out the door right and that's that's exactly it so yeah brad was behind me watching practice today uh at the dome on friday friday morning and and that's why and it's not like it's not like they haven't done their due diligence on this they're still very optimistic that this is going to get done but you don't want to give that impression so i think i think they made the right call especially because harvard lost today and and so i think I think now you give him his time to be with his teammates and, and wrap up the year, and then you get to work on the next steps. But, yeah, I don't think anything's changed uh, just because they, they weren't there and uh, they weren't you know watching and waiting. I think, actually, it's probably the right call when it's all said and done. So I would not, to your point, I would not read a single thing into that. The Flames organization remains as optimistic as they were earlier in the week that they, they're going to be able to get this thing done uh, before the end of the season. And, and the uh, things Vicks are approaching or, or, or are trending in a positive direction to see 
the 2020, 2021 first round pick in a Flames uniform at some point between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and it's not like they were going to rush him into the lineup on said private jet and have him make his debut at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon against the San Jose Sharks. He's going to be somebody that's given the space, given the time to decompress, brought in if they're able to sign him, if and when they're able to sign him, bring him in, work him through practice, give him a sense of what the NHL is. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if he gets a little bit of the Jacob Pelche treatment where he gets a couple healthy scratches in, observe everything both on and off the ice as it pertains to the NHL lifestyle, and then move forward from there. Listen, guys, if, if, if this team is still not mathematically eliminated by the time Coronado gets here, there is no way Matt Coronado is getting inserted into this lineup in a game that is still you know, somewhat meaningful on the NHL schedule, right? I mean, not just because it's the right thing to do to make sure you don't rush him in, but because you think this coach would take a raw rookie who's never even had an NHL practice or two maybe under his belt, and they're going to put him in the line. You think this coach would consider doing something like that? No, not at all. You're out of your mind. So, you know, I'm not – hey, I'll call it a silver lining to to the team, you know, you know, obviously very soon being eliminated from this playoff race. And the silver lining is this, that there's going to be no drama. There's going to be no turmoil. There's going to be no tug of war here. The kid will make his NHL debut as will be promised as part of the, uh, the contract yep. uh, that they're coming to terms with. So, and the other thing is that I don't want to speak just specifically to this deal uh, itself, but like these deals are worked out months in advance, right? Like assuming the relationship is good and assuming everybody, you know, this is a pretty standard player contract for the guy. It's rolled out months ago. And, and these guys generally, you know, it's not signed, but it's pretty much ready to go. All you need to do is for the player to, uh, you know, put his name on it because he's well aware of what's going on. They say all the right things and they say that they haven't, you know, they don't want to think about it at all, but (laughs) it's all they think about. Trust me. So they want to be kept in the loop. They are well apprised of the situation. And, you know, I think it's also out of respect too. like Coronado is going to go back to Harvard. Yeah. They're going to have a big, big party tonight, you know, as the kid deserves. And, 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 and then tomorrow, it, traditionally, these teams meet with their players and, and, and the coaches get one last chance to kind of tell them why they should stay for another year, why it's in their best interest. And you got to listen to that out. you got to hear them out. And, and I'm not saying, you know, it couldn't persuade you, uh, but you will owe the program that much for sure. Uh, unless it's a situation where there's only two NHL games left like Johnny Gaudreau and you got to get him into a uniform really quickly. So different scenario than the Gaudreau situation and, and, and in a lot of ways way better. Yeah, they've got plenty of time. And once they get past San Jose on Saturday, they only play two games in six days to close out the month of March. They've got six games in April, including four at home. So there's no rush, no urgency. There's no, oh, there's only one game remaining on the schedule. So you got to shoehorn them in. Plenty of time to get this done, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. and, and it would be, guys, it would be a really, to, to your point earlier, Francis, it would be like a, a really nice positive in a season that has not had a ton of them. To, to be able to see a first-round pick get in and make his debut and maybe, you know, with, with Johnny Gaudreau, he scores a, he was a goal-a-game player at the end of his first season uh, because he scored in his final game. It just, it, it, it would be a nice positive that Flames fans would be really excited for, and there hasn't been a ton to be excited for this season. No, no, there isn't. There hasn't been much to be excited about. Of course, this season, you know, I thought Milan Lucic, you know, I just wrote a column today about it. Milan Lucic said, Sorry, can you hear me there? Yep, you're still there. 
Okay, sorry. Milan Lucic was saying, you know, we should be fighting for a division title right now. Like that, that was the expectation that, and, and maybe we look back now and we say that that was not a realistic expectation. I think it was, I, I do. I think it was a realistic expectation. I think it's pretty well documented where things went wrong, who, who failed to live up to, 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 to their expectations for various reasons. And I'm not, you know, throwing everybody around here, but I'm just saying that this team really should have been good enough. I think uh, it's hard to say that now, given how bad they've been this year, but uh, I still think on paper, this team should have been a whole lot better. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, so here we are. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to the GM, I, it was about a month ago. And I said, like, tell me about like bright spots, you know, like uh, I'm just curious as to who you see as the bright spots. And, we both agreed on the five and, you know, I think we would probably, the three of us would all agree on it. Like, you know, Tyler Toffoli has exceeded expectations. I think that's fair to say. And, uh, and had a very nice season. Um, Michael Backlund, I think has had a, a, a very good season. Yep. Um, and, and I think that Dylan Dubé uh, has really taken huge strides this year for sure. Like he's proven he's a top six forward all day long. And, uh, and, and, and Pelche is a, a nice story as well. And, um, you know, I think when I, the last time I asked the GM, this was about three months ago, one of the guys that, you know, mentioned Dan Vladar and cause he was having a really good season, you know, up until, you know, just after Christmas. And then he kind of fell off and I'm missing one guys. Like who, who's another one that's been a, a good, or am I not missing anybody? Is that? So who, is that okay. Kind of so who do we have? We've got, we've got to Foley. To be Pelche to Foley. Vladar at one point, And I'm not throwing him under the bus and saying Vladar was awful this year, but you know, he did regress. So I'm not putting him on that list anymore. Um, I'm not sure if there's. I I'd give I'd give one more. I, I'd give one more, and that's the continued kind of evolution of Rasmus Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, that would be the yeah. only. You know, he's really I grown into being a, a number one power play guy. He's really yeah. grown into playing. You know, now he's not playing 20 minutes. He's playing 24, 25 minutes. Uh, that that would be the the other one is is how he continues to grow into a true top pair D man in this league. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's 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 fair to say. I think the other guys are a little bit more like revelations. I, I don't think that Anderson's a revelation because I think last year he just was such a stud as a number one defenseman and proved to be that he's that guy. But he's so comfortable in that sort of skin, right? Running that power play, taking the puck into the zone if he's doing that, uh, taking it out of his own zone. Like I just. Honestly, of all the Flames players, I would say that to me he looks the most comfortable out there on the ice at all times. I don't, I, I don't know if we've ever really looked at a category like that, like who looks really comfortable, but uh, he certainly does look comfortable out there right now. Yeah, uh, Francis with us. Just one, just one more before we let you go because I know you're uh, you got you got Swifty tickets to to use here very shortly. Um, I just, it's funny because you mentioned the Milan Lucic thing, and. We've now seen 73 games, and we're used to what the Flames are through 73 games, but I did the exercise last night after the postgame show on, on Thursday night of going back and trying to put myself in my shoes in September and October when we were all excited about this new-look group and people were talking about how they could be better than the team from last year and definitely better set up to have success in the playoffs, and they get off to the... Best six-game start in franchise history. If you had put this script in front of me as to all of what has gone down, the inconsistency, 
and the inability to score and the goaltending falling off a cliff and the public butting of heads between star players and head coach and all the innuendo that is thrown out thrown around guys would you have believed it I, I don't I don't know if I would have had I thought about it in late September and early October had we would have believed what all the things all, all the of the things that happened that all of what has happened all of the the craziness on the ice off the ice that we've seen yeah oh I, I think it's the I don't know if it's too strong to say it's a nightmare. Um, I, I do think it's a bit of a nightmare considering what people were expecting. And, uh, you know, I will say the one thing I, I did say a lot, and I've reiterated it when I talked to you all throughout this season, Pat and, and Bixie, like, like expectations, everything in the sports world is looked through the lens of expectations. And, 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 and expectations largely are shaped by, by money uh, for individuals, but also as a team, like, Remember, last year they were playing with house money and everything was a bonus. They won that division. Everything was, it was Christmas every day for Flames fans. This year, because expectations were so high and probably too, obviously too high, um, every day was, was, was a nightmare. Like, not every day was a nightmare, but every day was, it was just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, you know, this whole season, right? Because, it, because of the expectations. They are exactly where people thought they would be two years ago. Remember two years ago, we all said, well, I don't know. They might squeak into the playoffs. They might just barely miss. That was the expectation two years ago. Because of what happened last year, everything got shot up uh, to huge to huge levels. And, and, and that's what made it just such a, a huge plummet to earth for all Flames fans and for the team and the players and management and everyone. You know, everyone's licking their wounds from a season that nobody – fathomed would be this bad and yeah a nightmare is probably the best word for it it's funny you mentioned the word expectation because i jotted down before you got into it but i remember in september nosing around and asking daryl sutter and asking brad Living what should be the expectation for this group because in on paper they were deeper on the blue line they were deeper down the middle and they had a mm. goalie in net that was the runner-up for the vesna and each of them was just like playoffs Playoffs is the expectation, and then we'll see what happens from there. And yeah. I remember in my head being like, "Well, oh, that's just kind of a, the lip service cliched answer. And I'm like, this team should be competing for a Pacific Division title. Well, here we are with nine games to go, and they're six points back of being a playoff team. Maybe that expectation wasn't so off from the organization, at least, and maybe it wasn't lip service at the time. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fair, and I think they were trying to limit expectations too. Like, it's, I think, organizationally, I think it's something that teams try very hard to do, which is, whoa, whoa, everybody just slow down. Like, because if you set the bar too high, you're setting yourself up to fail in every possible way. Even if they won the division, I think people would have been disappointed to, to some degree this year. Because what did we all say last year? I don't know if they're better than last year's team, but I think they're better positioned for a playoff. Run. Yep. I think we all agreed with that. And we'll never find out now. So so we'll never know if we were completely wrong in every way or just in the way that, you know, that they were at least as good as last year's team. So yep. I, I don't know. It was, it, it's been, it's been fascinating, you know, as a columnist, it's, it's, uh, it's so interesting every day because, uh, you know, this whole season has been an absolute roller coaster. Um, and that is the best way to describe it really the nightmare For roller sure. coaster because, because it's one one win, then one loss. Two wins, two losses. One win, one loss. Like it, it's a stunning display of one step forward, one step back. Like I don't, I've never seen a team that has done it so 
<laughs> so consistently as this team has, which is a funny thing to say. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a roller coaster because it's a pretty flat roller coaster if you're going based guess, on the wins right. and losses where it's, you know, you haven't had anything longer than a three-game winning streak all season. So, I mean, the expectations and the emotion and the mood swings, if you will, I could see that as a roller coaster, but results, it's been it's been pretty flatlined to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I guess people started getting excited every time they'd win a big game here down the stretch when they needed to. People would think, okay, this is the kick, this is the turning point, this is the this is the kickstart that we've been waiting for, and then and then they fall flat on their face. And you know, I thought it was very fascinating. I know we got to go here, but um, was it Rasmus Anderson last night who used the word boring to describe a part of the game last night? He said, you know, there was long stretches of boring hockey. You know, that's, that was another thing, right? Last year was exciting at the Dome. There was a lot of goals being scored. You had the best line in hockey. That was that was worth their admission. admission. Even if they lost, you knew that you were going to be entertained because Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau are two of the great entertainers of this, you know, uh, in, in recent hockey, right, I would say. And um, and with those guys gone, you know, I've heard that word a lot this year. And, uh, you know, hey, we'll see what happens next year. I'm not saying that they're going to be a boring team moving forward. I'm, and I'm not saying... They were horrifically boring this year, but that's a word I did hear a lot this year that I never heard last year. Yep. Uh, get out of here. Enjoy Vegas. To, who's the winner? Have you picked the winner? Or you oh, on? that's right. I'm so glad. <laughs> the Ooh. panic on Pat's face there was, I was like, what are you talking admission. about? Okay, yes, I have chosen a winner. And and I uh, we did do this randomly. There were so many texts that came in. So I really do apologize that we don't have... Um, that the, we the, we can't give away the two hundred tickets. We only have the pair. Thank you so much to all your texts. It's a really really cool gesture. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Okay. This comes from Josh. First off, thanks to Eric Francis for donating his tickets to this game. I love to take my son to this matinee game. It's been quite a while since I've got a chance to take my son to a game. It's been a rough year for him. Me and his mother separated last summer. He's been a champ throughout the whole thing, but I know it's difficult on him. It's not my weekend with him, but I'm sure his mother would let him come with me if I was able to get these tickets, and I'd love to surprise him with a game. He's been telling me lately how he misses going to Flames games with him, uh, with me. rather. I took him to the season opener of the Wranglers, and he loved it, but that was the last hockey game we've been to together. Um, he's six years old. His former favorite player was Johnny Gaudreau, but Johnny broke his heart. His favorite player now is Dan Vladar. He's a Star Wars fan, too. Best of luck with the giveaway. Thanks, boys. My name is Josh. So that oh, is our winning amazing. ticket, and I thought that was... And there were oh, there were so many perfect. like that, but that's the one that we're going with. Oh, man, that's... Thanks. That makes my day. I'm glad to know it's going to someone. That's great. That's just great. Thanks for reading that, and thank you for everyone who, uh, who wrote in. I'm sure there's a ton of great stories, and I'm sorry... Uh, I only have a pair of tickets. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, would you have? Uh, would you start? Just, would you start giving away a thousand tickets next time? Yeah, <laughs> Let's, we'll start a charity next year, Pat. You, me, and Vixie will start a charity. We'll <laughs> give away more than just one pair. But anyway, that's great, Josh. Enjoy the game. Uh, you're going to get me his email address, and I'll send him yep. the tickets. And I hope he has a great day. And I heard Vixie's going to throw in a bottle of peanut butter whiskey uh, for the dat. No, wait, that doesn't fit. That I was thinking we game. should call our club the peanut butter whiskey wait crew. A second. All of a sudden, Vix has got those alligator arms. I can't yeah. find my wallet. Oh, easy. <laughs> easy. I love it.
Uh, bye, Francis. Okay, Good boys. stuff. That was cool. Yeah, a, Glad we could do have that. A great weekend. You Thanks too, man. Help me do that. Yeah, I appreciate it. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks, pal. Uh, Sports, that's Eric Francis. Francis Fridays, Inside Hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the tastes of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. This is Flamestock. Josh, if you're listening, uh, I'll uh, fire you a text in the break. We'll get your email address, get it over to Franchise, and then we'll get those tickets off to you. Uh, great stuff. And uh, we'll take a break. Come back on Flamestock. And I'm looking forward to this. Michael Backlund will play his 900th career NHL game tomorrow versus San Jose. We're going to look back on first goal, first game, and how he's grown from being a guy that some people thought was a bust to being the guy that he is now. An exclusive sit-down with Mr. 900, Michael Backlund, when we come back. Stay with us. It's Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flamestock is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. So on Saturday afternoon, Michael Backlund will become the third player in franchise history to play in 900 games as a member of the Calgary Flames. He'll join Mark Giordano, who had 949, and Jerome Ginla, who played in 1,219 games in a Flames jersey in what is uh, the organization's very exclusive club. This one's pretty neat for a lot of people because, first of all, class act human being. We're talking about the, you know what, I'll promote you to co-president. We're uh, talking about the uh, co-presidents of the Michael Backlund fan club here. He's just a a class A plus human being. He has worked his tail off since being drafted in the first round in 2007 to become the player he is. He's dealt with all kinds of adversity, injuries early in his career, lots of Hey, this guy's never going to make it. He's a bust of a first-round pick. It's never going to work out for him. That was all there. And now he's turned into one of the... And and not just recently, but he's turned into one of the NHL's best two-way centers over the last seven, eight years. And he's also made made Calgary a better place with the work he does in the community. I just want to go through all of the things that Michael and his wife free to touch here in Calgary and Southern Alberta for the past seven seasons. They've been working with the ALS society of Alberta. Um, that started all the way back in 2015. Um, Frida has, has been touched personally with ALS. And so they started that seven, seven years ago. And now obviously with Chris snow and the battle that he's had, it, it's taken on an even, um, more person and not even more personal, but an, an added personal side to their work with the ALS Society of Calgary. He's been an ambassador with Special Olympics for seasons and seasons and seasons. He and Frida host 30, uh, 32 Special Olympic athletes every year in a Flame Super Suite. He works with Kids Cancer Care um, and, and provides tickets to a game each year to kids battling cancer and uh, Michael and Frida started parachutes for pets 
in honor of their dog Lily, who passed away from cancer, and it uh, it helps with people who uh, have lost a pet and and who are dealing with that. So parachutes for pets, kids cancer care, Special Olympics, and ALS Society of Alberta. Uh, the, the, and and that's what's right now. There have been others in the past, like straight up. Michael Backlund and his family have, have made Calgary a better place. It's just, it's neat to see him hit a really cool milestone. And it's even cooler to see him hit it playing maybe the best hockey of his career. There's a reason he's a perennial Peter Marr Good Guy Award nominee. If you're not familiar with the award, it's voted on by media and it goes to the player who best demonstrates the virtues of the legendary radio play by Playboy's Peter Marr. Sincerity, integrity, dedication and respect can't think of four better words to describe Michael Backlund. Yep. I uh, got an opportunity earlier on Friday to uh, sit down in the Doug Lacey's basement systems, hot stove lounge at the dome and uh, talk with Michael Backlund exclusive conversation for you with Michael Backlund of the flames ahead of his 900th career NHL game on Saturday. What does 900 mean? Like I, I know that for some guys, Numbers are just numbers, but is 900, does that mean something to you? Is that is that a, a round number that you look at and you say, yeah, that uh, that's a meaningful number? Yeah, no, yeah, it means a lot to me. Uh, I, uh, you know, came into the league uh, and uh, with a lot of hopes and uh, and dreams, and but I, I don't know if I ever dreamt of playing so many games in the NHL and having a long career, and so... Uh, yeah, it means a lot to me. We were I was I was listening to you walk down the hall with with Sean and and he he used the term like a fine wine and <laughs> I was thinking to myself like so you could end up putting up career point numbers this year. You've already put up career assist totals this year. You're about to play your 900th game and and I know you've talked about maybe you are playing the best hockey of your career. So not a lot of guys about to hit 900 are are playing their best hockey of their career. What? Why do you think that is? Why do you think perhaps you're peaking even later than than most guys do? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I uh, well, this coming into this year, I wanted to play better than I did last year in the regular season, and uh, uh, with all the changes uh, that happened this summer, I knew I had to step up my game and take on a bigger role, uh, and. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, uh, the way I played last year wasn't the way I wanted to play. And in the regular season, I felt I played a lot better in the playoffs, and I wanted to keep doing that. So uh, having that mindset in the summer, and also um, just reflecting a little bit in the summer, sitting back and being like, you know, there's potential. You never know these lockouts yeah. <laughs> in four years. But is that gonna be a, maybe it for me? It's like only four years away. It flies by. Um, you never know, and uh, I kind of found a new appreciation for the game too this summer, uh, and I uh, wanted to just go out and enjoy myself even more on the ice this year. Did uh, with with all the change that happened this summer, did you did you feel even more like ownership of I don't, I don't want to say ownership of the team, but kind of ownership of your role inside that room? So many longtime voices no longer here, and yet here you are, and now you're the longest tenured player on the team. Like did did you take any more ownership of of what your role is with so much turnover and and what you could mean to to that room? Yeah, for sure. I uh, I felt uh, yeah uh, I wanted to and I had to take more responsibilities and. Uh, 
thing to be an even louder voice in there and uh, to grab onto right away. Uh, a lot of new faces coming in and and like you said, a lot of big voices leaving and players have been there for a long time, starting with Gio two yeah. years ago and uh, Chucky, Monty, Johnny this summer. Uh, it's a big change up for sure uh, over two summers and players I played with for a long time. So no, I felt responsibility and I wanted to grab that. And I also felt um, same time, I know it's, you know, Johnny chose to leave and Chucky said he was going to leave. And, but at the same time, I felt it's still pretty cool that all these players They've been in and out. I'm still here, and yeah. felt uh, I looked at that as a kind of exciting thing too, going into the season. Well, and now, I mean, and you already this year earlier, you moved into third all time in games played, so you were already with Mark Giordano and and Jerome McGinley. But now to hit that milestone and and be one of the three Flames players to ever hit 900 games with with Gio and and Jerome, two guys that that you that that were here when you came in. What is what does that mean to you to to be able to be put in that conversation with those two? Yeah, no, it feels. Crazy, but also great. Uh, two awesome players, um, great guys, uh, great teammates, and both. Uh, I mean, Gio's still active playing, but they both had great careers, um, accomplished a lot, and uh, meant a lot for the city. So, uh, yeah, I know I feel very uh, proud and honored to be in the same category as those two guys. It's, uh, um, yeah, it hasn't been an easy role, but yeah, I'm still here, and it's that's uh, pretty cool that I'm. That I am. Well, when you talk about that, Michael Backlund's with us. He plays his 900th NHL game, 900th game with the Flames on Saturday against San Jose. Go back to the right to the start, and and you're you're drafted in 07. You stay in Sweden for a little bit, and then what? It was spring of 2009 when you came over. You came over to join the Rockets. But you played that one game in the NHL before you went to Kelowna. Like how how long ago does that feel now? Yeah, it does feel long ago. It did really feel long ago when I talked to Husk, asking how old he was when he was coaching me <laughs> in Kelowna. And they said he was like around 28. I'm like, really? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know it's pretty crazy. Uh, and also seeing like Jimmy Ben hitting a thousand games makes you feel like, wow, it's been a, it's been a while. And uh, But, yeah, that's yeah, a great time in Kelowna. Um, definitely helped me get to where I am today. Um, I'm really excited I went there and... But yeah, no, it definitely feels like a long time ago. What What do you remember about that first game? Because you had you had never played North American pro hockey, and then your first pro hockey game on this side of the ocean is in the NHL with the Calgary Flames. Like, what do you What do you remember about that night? I was just really nervous, really excited. Uh, hit the post first shift, uh, right off the face off, uh, and then yeah, I just remember. I didn't. Feel, I felt like you know, you know, I could. Uh, uh, one day play play here. I felt like uh, I was good enough t- uh, to play in NHL, and uh, I know it's just one game, but I didn't feel like um, I was out of what do you say? Uh, out like, of place. Yeah, out yeah. of place. Yeah, like um, so. Yeah, I, but I really enjoyed enjoyed playing that game. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great that I got to stay for another four days or so. Uh, they had the skills competition here in Calgary, and uh, got to be part of that. I thought I was really cool as well so yeah. uh, I had a great five or six day experience here and definitely helped me get a little money too during my time in Kelowna <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. get some NHL money before going there 
that's I, I never even thought about that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that, 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 all of a sudden, it lasted the whole time there, which was great. That bank account for five or six days. Like, oh, okay, this is uh, this is being a pro hockey player. Yeah, not bad. That was great. It was about a year later you scored your NHL first NHL goal. It was yeah. uh, Arizona, right? Yeah. What uh, What do you remember about that? And it was it was a pretty one too. It's not like you it went off your backside or anything like yeah. that. It was it was one that you can actually show your kids and be like, oh no, this is this really was my first <laughs> NHL goal. Yeah, I mean Gio stole the show a little bit with his goal that game when he dangled That's the right. whole team That's and, right. and uh, put a five hole on uh, Briscala. But <clears throat> yeah, no, I remember just coming off the bench, uh, seeing Borky having some time in the old zone and uh, just calling for the puck and he dropped it to me and then I. Uh, just trying to kind of shoot a towards the net, and I think went off the defenseman's leg yeah. and went uh, blocker side, and yeah, just really, really excited to see it go in. Do you remember? I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. Do you, so you remember the Selly? Like it was, it was, it was NHL level Selly. Yeah, I, I think I was so shocked too and surprised and happy and. Yeah, and I think it might have been a tie, a tie the game. Or, you tied the game. Yeah. yeah, so it was a big goal too. Yeah, I was was not as emotional as I usually am when I score, uh, but uh, I think it was just it was just surreal. Just yeah, a lot of emotions and uh, yeah, and uh, no, it was uh, it was a fun moment for sure. It's funny you you talked about it being a tough road because. Early on, there were some injuries, and it maybe took a little while for it to click with you. When you look back at, at all of the kind of bumps and hurdles that you had early on in your early 20s in the NHL, and now you think to where you are and, and the, the player and the person that Michael is now, do you think you'd be here without having to go through those difficulties earlier? No, I think it's part of the process. Uh, no one's career goes just straight up. Um, I think everyone's career is, you know, it's like a hike the mountain. You got to go up and then a little bit sideways, a little bit down, downwards, and then climb up again. So I think um, that's just life in general. Um, I don't think anyone in the world has had uh, every day of their life has been easy and happy and just, you know, uh, I think we all go through something and, uh, yeah, and it definitely has shaped me as a person and uh, player I am today for sure. Do you remember? I, I was thinking about this driving in today, knowing that we were going to chat. And and do you remember? Because Jay Feaster used the term "whistling by the graveyard," and he told it to us. He said, "I, I went to Michael and I said, oh, your play, like you're whistling by the graveyard,' and we almost sent you back to the American League.' Do you do you remember that that moment early in your career?" Well, I remember getting a phone call. Um, I was, yeah, actually, I don't remember if it was my agent or um, Jay Feaster calling me that summer after my second year, and, and which ended up in the between the, the, my second year and the locker year. Yeah. Uh, but I remember him saying, "Well, you know, this is this is like do or die here. Uh, I got a one-year deal. Um, just call for qualifying offer, um, and it's like." either you stay or you're down in the NHL pretty much. So, and yeah, I remember, I think it was, uh, yeah, the year before, um, around Christmas time, uh, I did get sent down for one game and then the team here struggled. They called me right up and I scored that one first game back, which was nice. So I got to stay. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, uh, I do remember those, uh, having those conversations and even with Brent Sutter, uh, just before I was sent down there, uh, my second year, you know, uh, there were some hard conversations um, that I wasn't playing where the way I wanted because my rookie year was pretty good. Um, 
uh, wasn't like an unbelievable rookie season, but that was pretty solid for uh, rookie season. And the year after, just couldn't build on it. And so yeah, there were some tough conversations with both Brent and uh, eventually later on Jay Feaster too. Do you uh, was there ever a time where? You thought to yourself, you know, maybe maybe this league isn't it. Like maybe maybe it's not going to work out. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, no, yeah, it did. Especially my second year there, I really had some doubts. Uh, being injured twice, um, and uh, yeah, just trying to figure out my you know my spot on the team too. Uh, you know, we didn't have many young guys at the time, and. Um, so yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Henry Carlson had a lot of fun together. Uh, the yeah. Swedish backup goalie, he's yeah, hilarious. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just being on the NHL locker room was kind of trying to figure out that too early on in my career and um, the balance of that too. And um, so yeah, I definitely had some thoughts early on. And um, I remember too, even um, after. Me and Frida talked about yeah maybe we'll f- we'll go to Switzerland in a few years so that was like after fourteen fifteen or fifteen sixteen around there even then it's like yeah we'll see how long I play here maybe go to Switzerland and play a few years and yeah no and then uh, the years went on and uh, played better and better and you know there was since then uh, there's been no yeah. discussion I just wanted to play over here did did anything click like was there a moment or a time where you're like okay you know what I, I know that this is a league that I can thrive in. Was there ever a – because I remember you went back for the lockout in, in 2012. You went back to Sweden, and, and you really had success in your hometown. And it seemed like from the outside, when you came back, it was maybe a little bit more confident Michael Backlund, and that was maybe where the uphill climb started. But what about for you? Was there a time when it really clicked for you? Well, I think, like you said, it started that, that year, the lockout for sure. Uh, you know, Kopitar was playing in my hometown, uh, Landeskog, there's some other good players, and I got to play against them um, as a top-line player, and I played really well, like you said. So I, I just brought that with me, going coming over here, and I had a pretty good start that short season. And um, So, yeah, I, uh, that was the start of it. Um, but even next year, I uh, had a slow start to the season. Bob, yeah. Bob Harley was kind of hard on me, and in his way, trying to help me out, and uh, it worked out later, but... Yeah, it was a tough start of that season. It was scratch for one game against Toronto here at home. And, uh, but I remember, uh, I think it was going into New York early December that year. Um, I scored my first goal in New York against Hendrick, um, which was a big moment for me. And I yeah, think I bet. Around that time, I've uh, I hadn't allowed a even strength goal. Or I hadn't been on the ice for any strength goal for like 10 or 11 games or something like that. And I started to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm really – starting to be a solid two-way player here and I really want to grow my game and for that second half I got to play with Cammy a lot and we had some success together I mean we were out of the playoffs early um which put some pressure off when you're young um you can just go out and play um which for me at the time was good um so um so I think around yeah right after lockout and the next year was kind of when I felt like I was really slated for my game in the NHL and I think yeah I remember scoring that goal in New York was a big moment and yeah Around that, like I say, around that time, I was yep. really starting to play really well, even in strength. Just a few more with Michael Backlund, who plays his 900th game with the Flames and in the NHL Saturday against San Jose. Um, so you 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 talk about you talk about the you, you said like, hey, maybe maybe this two way game is is where I really excel. Was that always something that that 
was front of mind for you? Was that always what you thought you were as a guy, as a player? Or did that evolve where, like, holy, like, I, I'm going up against the best players on the other side every night, and, and more often than not, I'm, I'm shutting them down and, and winning that battle. How did that evolve for you? Yeah, no, and when I was young, I was all offense. Um, yeah, my whole young career uh, up until I came here over here, started to play pro over here. I, uh, Daryl and Brent sent me down, told me I got to learn to play defense if I want to play in NHL. So there was there was no option. So <laughs> I kind of had to do that. And in my first season in NHL, you know, it was all four flying PK duties, and <clears throat> um, which was good learning uh, learning curve for me as well. And uh, good year for me to learn to play in NHL I play a lot of games 72 games I think I play or something like that and um but yeah same I go back to that uh 13 14 seasons uh when I really around that time like I said early December and on for the rest of that year I got to play against the best players yeah Bob started trusting me more and more and started playing me more against the top players and he told me I can be that player and that's where I really really I feel like my two-way game kind of took off is that something that you look back on now and really take a ton of pride in maybe it wouldn't have been as a 18 year old guy but now here you are you're like yeah that's that's something that I really can be proud of yeah no for sure uh and I do feel appreciated and uh, I think that's a role that a lot of people appreciate uh especially within the, the locker room and yeah a lot of uh I know the coaches put really um really appreciate players that values the two-way game and so um yeah, no. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I've enjoyed my time in this league, and uh, I've enjoyed the way the player I've become. What, uh, what's Michael Backlund the leader like now inside the room? And now you're the longest tenured player on the team. You're one of the the few guys who was born in the '80s in that room. <laughs> like, it, it's I, what, what, what is, what is Michael's leadership style at, at this stage of your career? Uh, oh, I'm. Uh, I like to make decisions off the ice. Where you know, uh, a lot of stuff we do, uh, like dinner and stuff like that. No, I just yeah. Well, if like this Anaheim trip that we just had, I was like, yeah, we should stay over in Anaheim. Okay. Uh, like, we should we shouldn't go home and get home at three thirty. So that was that was your call, hey? Yeah, it's just like uh, those kind of stuff, and um, yeah, it's a lot of communication with Sean O'Brien, our service guy, um, talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm an organized person too, and uh, but also yeah, no, I. More and more of the years become more and more vocal in the room, and um, I, you know, uh, if there's something to be said, I say it, and uh, it's not like I just say things for to saying things, but uh, I know uh, on the guys that there's things that has to be said, I say it, and uh, and in a good way, uh, you know, try to push guys uh, in the right way. You've got a guy, just for instance, like Jacob uh, Pelche inside the room right now who's kind of going through some of the things you went through early on, learning to be an NHLer. Is that something that you go out of your way to talk to him about? Does he come to you? What What is uh, what is that like as a leader? Yeah, no, I try and talk to young players as well. Uh, even had a good talk with du- uh, Dewar this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I try and go out of my way and talk to those guys as well and help them out and um, – you know, give him a little feedback or discuss things with him, whatever it can be. Final thought, the community and and the work that you've done, nonprofit and charity in this city. I mean, I, I was looking today and what you're touching now, what you've touched in the past, different things you've been ambassadors for. 
Why has that always been such? Even even what Frida does in in the community as well. Why for you and and your family has that always been such an important thing? Uh, I think just uh, personality. Uh, I yeah, from a young age, uh, you know, started to um, uh, not lost the word, but. Uh, Sponsor. I started yep. sponsoring a kid in Africa. Help him out. Uh, be the monthly, be a monthly donor sponsor. Um, and yeah, I just always wanted to help people, uh, the less fortunate. And and um, Frida's the same way. And you know, when we met, there was a, a quick chat, and there was no like. Uh, both of us were just like, yeah, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna start this new program with the with the LS Society of Berta and. It's been a great program, and uh, yeah, and uh, um, yeah, Frida's been. Uh, it's been. I mean, it's hard for her um, with all the anything going on with you know being around the LS and all that. But she's been such a strong woman, going uh, supporting everyone and um, trying to do what she can do to to help raise money and awareness of the cost. And so yeah, um, she's a amazing person and. Um, from day one here, she's been wanting to help other people as well. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, kind of the, I think, personalities of yeah. the way that we are. Congratulations, Michael. That's awesome. 900 games on Saturday. Third uh, third person in Flames history to ever hit that milestone. It's uh, it's pretty neat to see it, and uh, it's pretty cool to have been along for uh, for the ride almost the entire time. Congratulations, man. You deserve it. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Michael Backlund uh, sat down with him earlier Friday at the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. Uh, just going back, 900 games. He'll, at some point next season, Vix, become the all-time, second all-time leader in games played uh, because he's currently 50 back and by Saturday 49 back of Mark Giordano for second on the all-time list. Jerome Ginla, of course, uh, 1,219 is the all-time games played later. Leader, uh, Mark Giordano, 949. And Michael Backlund, number three at 899, soon to be 900. Just a really neat milestone. And uh, I just, I, I, I think it's really neat because I've always appreciated how he goes about his business. Um, and I've always appreciated just how involved he is in the community. And I just think it's a, it's a neat thing to celebrate. Just a class act all the way around. I don't know how to put it any any differently. And just hearing him talk in that interview with you, it does mean something to him, which you like to hear sometimes milestones. Uh, maybe it's just a round number and, and move on to the next one until you get to 1,000. But class act all the way in my books. Last, uh, last time I remember talking to somebody where something like this meant so much was when I sat down with Stajan. Um, and, and funny enough, saw Stajan at the Dome today. Uh, but when I when I sat down with Stajan and... and Matt talked about getting to a thousand uh, as a member of the Flames, and you could just tell how much it meant to him. And my, Michael will most likely get to a thousand, and, and we hope he gets to a thousand in a Flames uniform. I, I think there's a ton of inherent value of having one guy play for your franchise his entire career, and and that's why you know a few weeks ago started to plant those seeds about you know what maybe this summer you start to think about extending Michael, and I think there's a lot to that conversation. We can get to that another time, but 900 is a pretty neat milestone. And especially knowing he, he probably would be at a thousand if some of those injury issues and the lockout didn't happen earlier in his career. But it's just a, it's a neat milestone. Congratulations to him, and he's going to get lots of fanfare on Saturday as he should. Be really interesting to to see his reaction when he does get that fanfare on Saturday against the San Jose Sharks. 
Uh, he's Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Cam and Taylor have been our producers this hour. That'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.